everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, a podcast about the magic of books. Today I'm talking about The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Klune. So let's investigate it. Today here to investigate this book with me, I have Andrea. Hello, guys. She has also read this book and is going to provide some great insight. Let me tell you why I picked this book. I am reading it for my book bingo, trying to finish that out. It does fulfill multiple squares, so if you're interested... You can use this for optimistic, the color in the title, or published in 2020. I'm using it for color in the title, the house in the cerulean sea, of course. A little bit about this book. It was published by Tor in 2020, and that's right at the beginning of the during times. And so that was a good pick by Tor to publish it then. This was a refreshing read near the start of lockdown, at least in the U.S., it was very fresh and a nice book to read. What did you feel? Um, so the reason I picked up this book is because Josh kind of described it to me, and I actually read it before Josh, um, and really, really liked it. But my favorite color is Cerulean, so that kind of sold me on why I really wanted to read this book. Because <laughs> you don't hear of the color Cerulean all that much. It's true. I know. Very superficial there. but That's okay. So uh, let me give you a little bit of a rundown, everybody, about what happens in the book, at least a spoiler-free section. Our main character is named Linus, and he lives alone, kind of works alone. He works for the department in charge of magical youths, uh, Daikami, and he is a caseworker, so he visits orphanages, um, other places where there are magical youth, kind of does a little bit of investigation, interviews the kids, the caretakers, and then has near final say about what should happen, whether it should be shut down or moved. Yeah. Or So he's basically a social worker, but for magical kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically what he is. Yeah, um, so it starts out with Linus working, and then he is called by his bosses, by Extremely Upper Management, which is a little bit of a fun title, just calling everybody exactly what they are. Not just upper management, not just management, but extremely upper management. And in reward of his good, of all of his hard work, they are sending him to Marseilles Island to investigate an orphanage. And to him it feels a little bit more like a punishment than a reward for good work. Take yeah. it as you will. Well, just... Like, Linus is a very... Likes to have the same routine. He has the same clothes. He has... Eats the same food. He does everything the same. And so, um... He is used to, in his jobs... It's basically a desk job. Um, and sometimes he goes for a day or two to an orphanage. But when extremely upper management calls upon him, they say, Hey, you're gonna be here for, like, a couple weeks. It's a month or two, I believe. Uh, okay, yeah. And so he's kind of like, wait, that's totally out of my routine. <laughs> yeah. So um, Extremely Upper Management um, gives him a little bit of a file folder, tells him not to open it until he gets to the island, um, tell him they want him to investigate the orphanage and the man who runs the orphanage, Arthur Parnassus. Is this set in... England. It is not specified where it's set at. Okay. It, uh, I guess in my head, I just... Because 
I guess in the city he lives in. I don't know that it ever specifies if he lives in London or where. No. But I always just imagined England because it's always stormy and kind of... It wasn't always stormy, but I yeah. don't know. It always just seemed gloomy in the city. At least the writing always seemed where he lived in the city. Gloomy. And now he's being sent to this island which is sunny and very bright and very... So it's like he's going from a completely different world to a completely different world almost. Yeah, so uh, needless to say Linus does visit the orphanage and many lives are changed. Whether for good or bad you'll have to listen to our spoilery section to find out. Or just read the book yourself. Either way you'll find out. But many thumbs up for this book. i pretty sure I gave it a 5 out of 5. Uh, it was very refreshing, very optimistic, very good, wholehearted story. Yeah. Okay. I was like, I'll say more when we get to the spoiler yeah. section. A <laughs> um, couple thoughts just before. Obviously this book being about an orphanage, it does have a lot of children in it, and sometimes children in fantasy books don't play out the way you'd think a kid would actually play or act. I felt like these kids were kids, and they weren't all you know, the same kid, but with a different name and a slightly different attitude. They all had their own feelings and their own path and their own story. And their own personality. Personalities, Very much yeah. So. And that was a really, that was a really good job on the author's part. I felt like none of them he very fell well wrong. developed all of the characters. Yeah. Very well with the kids. And a lot like of they the, sounded like kids. Yeah. How kids would sound. Yeah. So. And a lot of the writing I felt was very evocative. You know, when it's raining, you can really tell that it's raining because it affects everything. Or when the sun is shining and he's walking in the forest or the woods or whatever, he's in the woods. And you can you can kind of feel it just by the way he writes that you learn that. So Yeah, he just makes everything very real. Like, you feel like you're there. Mm -hmm. Great. So, let's get into the spoiler section here. So if you want so to take a break and go read the book, you can. If you want to just keep listening and find out here. So we can talk about the characters. Next. That's just fine. Okay. So we're going to, yeah. <laughs> we're going to start. This we're gonna, is the best part of the characters. We're going to start with the characters. Um, obviously, we've talked about Linus a little bit already. Um, we'll talk about him probably more at the end. Um, let's start with the kids. Let's see. The main kid and the reason that Arthur, or Linus, excuse me, is being sent to investigate is because of Lucy. Now, Lucy... is not a girl. Yeah, it, Lucy <laughs> is a boy. Stands for Lucifer because he is the Antichrist. Yes. Yes, the Antichrist is being raised at an orphanage by uh, this man, Arthur Parnassus. <laughs> Lucy is a very... He's a six-year-old boy. And he's totally a six-year-old boy. He just happens to be the Antichrist as well. And he's, like, learning how to deal with being the Antichrist. Like, just like a, I don't know, very much like a typical six-year-old is learning how to be a six-year-old. When you're six years old, you're first going to school. You're learning how to, you know, sit and actually listen to a teacher. I see very much of those same characteristics in Lucy. Yeah, he is just a kid who wants to be loved, but because he is the Antichrist, he's kind of been 
shunned. People are afraid of him. You know, sometimes he has episodes and things start happening. People think he's inherently bad. People think he's inherently evil because of that, but, you know, he is what he is. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about Lucy more, but he was a great character. He was a great six-year-old. It was very believable. Uh, just a fun. Let's see. Next on our list, we have Chauncey. What do you want to say about Chauncey? So, Chauncey is basically a big ball of slime. Yep. Yep. <laughs> There's no other way to describe him. He, in my mind, I don't know that it ever says because he's a slime creature. I don't know that they have a timeline of like how old he is. But in my mind, he was more kind of like teenager or older kid, teenagerish kind of guy at this little orphanage. Yes, and Chauncey had only ever grown up at this orphanage, whereas all of the other children had been moved around from orphanage to orphanage as they get sent away because they aren't liked and they are feared. Um, Chauncey, I felt like, was definitely the most innocent, or one of the most innocent of all the children. You know, you said something, he just took it as fact, or... You said you liked him or you didn't like him, then he would be dejected just like you would be. But uh, wholly innocent, and he does have one dream. huge yeah, aspiration <laughs> or dream that he wants, and he wants to be a bellhop. Never mind that you know anything he touches is covered with slime. You know He wants to be a bellhop. It's his dream. He pretends to be a bellhop for the entire time that Linus is there. It's hilarious. It's great. Um, you know, Linus yeah. has to keep paying him over and over again to tip him for, like, taking his clothes and stuff. Doesn't oh. he tip him with something weird? He, that's with, uh... Oh, that's with the other kid. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Okay, <laughs> well, so we'll go to that one. Um, I'm sure more will come up. They go, uh, Theodore is a wyvern. So a small dragon. And, yes, I know sometimes wyverns are large dragons, but... I would, he's a child. Yeah, I would think he's, he's about, a like... Child dragons. Large cat to small dog size, somewhere he in there. He fits under a couch. That we find out very yes. early. Uh, he has a horde, as most dragons do. And Linus is obliged to contribute to that horde many times. And so he ends up cutting buttons off of his shirts to give to him to uh, hide away. Uh, it's a great scene the first couple times. <laughs> the first couple times Linus, of course, having never dealt with a, a wyvern child, is like, uh, what? Like, <laughs> I can't understand him. What's he saying? And, you know, what does he want? Oh, he just, he wants, you know, something for his horde. Oh, well, I've got a button because I don't have any gold or, like, a lot of money on me, but that was very good. Um, and by the end, you know, he is converse, not conversing with Theodore, but he uh, no. is talking yeah. and he's understanding Theodore and, yeah. you know, just that familiarity of being around people. You get to understand them even without physical words. Yeah. Should okay. we go to Sal? Yeah, let's go to okay. Sal. So Sal is a, he's a teenage boy. Yep, he is we the oldest. Know, isn't, he's the oldest in the collection. He's the of oldest the kids. of the house, yep. Um, and so he is a were Pomeranian. But he only becomes a were Pomeranian when he gets scared. Yes. <laughs> um, 
Sal is one of the sadder stories. Like, he has He's been... He's like a real live case of a foster care kid. Yeah. He's been in a lot of abusive situations. Yeah. He, it never goes into to detail about exactly what happened, which is great. But um, you know that he was abused and... So he's very closed off. Yeah, very closed like, off. He's very silent. You know, he's very scared. Anything that anybody does will, you know, he freezes up and runs. I felt like I was one of the more accurate depictions of how people can respond to kid, abuse. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes a real-life foster kid. Obviously, we want the best for that. But um, by the end of the book, he, you know, while he's been living with Arthur, he's been growing and becoming more social and more open again and at the end of his time with Linus he even has grown even more so um, we just have two more children left we have Talia she is a gnome one of the few female gnomes and I gotta say she's probably one of my favorite characters she's just hilarious yeah. she's always digging Always digging, playing around in the dirt, <laughs> trying to grow things. She's the first character that uh, Linus comes into contact with of the children. Mm -hmm. And it's just a really funny scene. Yeah. <laughs> she threatens to, you know, kill him and bury him in his garden multiple times over the book series. Sometimes in the beginning it's a little bit more serious, but by the end you can tell she's just teasing. Um, she's just a kid, like. Because, yeah, she's a kid out. and talking and. <laughs> You know, playing brave. No, I guess Talia would be the oldest. Isn't she like 150 or something? I don't remember exactly the ages. But <laughs> anyway. But by the the definition of the kids, uh, she definitely felt more like one of the childs. More uh, childlike. More childlike or childish. Life. Yeah. Um, one of the last girl. One of the last children on the island is Fee. She is a sprite. Uh, in particular, a forest sprite. So she has some light magical abilities, can make things grow faster, kind of control plants a little bit. Um, she's really kind of tucked off. I would think maybe one of the only things that's sad is that we don't see quite as much into her character as we do the others. She's you know, mostly filled out and she's kind of stable on her own. She does spend a lot of time with Zoe, another character in this book who is a sprite as well kind of the guardian of the island. the island they live on. And so those two spend some time together and are kind of taking care of each other. And so there's less, you know, need for Linus and Arthur to be there. She's still involved in the family. Yeah. Uh, we just don't see a lot of change in her character aside from how she feels about Linus throughout I the book. that's a good word to use is the word family. Because... If you think of, like, a typical orphanage, you wouldn't say that it's, like, family-like. But Arthur, the main character of this uh, orphanage, very much makes it like a family. Like, that's kind of his expectation of the kids is, hey, we don't treat each other bad because we are a family. Mm -hmm. And so there's definitely a lot different feel. I think that Linus feels when he goes first to this orphanage because it's not like the other orphanages he's gone to and been a social worker at basically yeah so to now that we've talked about all the characters let's kind of go back into the plot and say um, Linus gets the call he gets the job he makes it to the island um, 
At first, of course, he's incredibly skeptical and incredibly worried just because, you know, these are kids who have strange and unusual powers. And in his mind, he's been taught, you know, that that's bad and that they need to be watched over and taken care of. And, you know, this is the first real time seeing it as a family. Um, he spends most of his time with all the kids. He sees that they have regular activities, that they are always well taken care of and well fed. Um, he, he basically has a checklist he has to like check off to make sure everything's being met. Yeah. From the extremely upper management. He writes back to extremely upper management twice uh, near the beginning and basically they report back like, hey, why haven't you investigated Arthur? You know, what's up with Arthur? Is he... A bad guy and a bad caretaker. bad caretaker and so he investigates and you know he actually pushes because Arthur has kind of insulated these children on the island to keep them safe and away from people just so that people don't uh, hurt them you know he moves them off he helps them take a day trip to the to the next city next that they're that the islands right next to and you know that was a great you know, I think Growing it was a chapter or two, but it was it was for... incredible how much, you know, emotion it was packed into this book. Like, you look at it, you're not expecting this book to really dive into such deep topics, you know, but it does. It talks about the like the racism in, inherent in that whole town that everybody, you know, sees them and says, "Oh, they're a, a magical youth. Like, they're dangerous. They're scary." And yeah, it's, it's dealt almost... with right there in that chapter when they go to the island. Yeah, it's, it almost reminds me of, like, to compare it to, like, Avengers, <laughs> the second movie of Avengers, when the whole world is like, ah, we're scared of all these people who have powers. That's, like, how this whole world is, is that they're scared of all these magical kids. They just are, and so, um, I felt like this book very much... Um, dealt with lots of issues of our day, um, not, not meaning, or not, it meant to, it definitely meant to, it meant to bring up, like, hey, it's not okay to be racist. Yeah, or um, afraid of people or just afraid because of they're people different. Or afraid of differences, um, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think I really connected to this book, mainly because... In one way, just because I am a special education teacher. And so, essentially what I do every day is help teach my students how to live in a world where differences aren't always inclusive, right? And so it really hit kind of that note with me as being a special education teacher. Yeah. Um, it was great, yeah. It, it very much like the, hit those Like topics. with Sal and the abuse it really doesn't like go into the abuse but like it talks about how how to deal with uh, uh, abuse. abuse yeah I guess um, or grief or like like with Lucy the Antichrist it goes into like how to deal with hey this is just who I am I gotta accept who I am it doesn't mean I'm inherently bad right yeah so I love it. It just dives into like these deep, deep issues that is really kind of our part of our everyday world. Yeah, and it delved into them 
so greatly while keeping track with the story so that it and never moving felt storyline along yeah yeah it never felt like he was trying to preach it at you or bang you over the head with it it just felt natural and included um yeah so like i said going off the island was a pivotal part in the book um things really changed from there the kids can start growing and actually interacting with more people some they, of the townspeople start interacting with the kids a little bit more yeah um, that keeps going for them. Then, um, near the end, uh, Linus is investigating and he finds kind of the locked cellar. He goes in and he finds that it's all been burned and he learns that Arthur was a magical youth and that he was locked in this island and, like, that locked in this cellar when he was a youth. And it kind of shows him how he broke that cycle of abuse that even though Arthur was not treated the best when he was in an orphanage you know he was able to turn around and be such a supporting rock for this you know for these new kids um, there is a slight romance you can kind of see progressing I picked it out near the beginning of the book that it was going to happen um, between Linus and Arthur it was very obvious to me but and I was opposite I totally did not see it coming and to me, before I learned about the author of this book, um, it really made me think that it was like a political ploy. I kind of always hate when movies or books always just try and put that political ploy in of like, hey, we have an all-white cast, but we're going to put in one black person to be racially diversive. Like, that has always bugged me. And I felt like that's what this book was doing until I read through the whole book and fell in love with these characters even more. And actually learning more about the author, I guess he is gay himself. And so he, one of his goals in life is to basically write books that put gay people in a positive light. And I really feel like this book really did that. No, I feel like the author really, that's like his goal is to put gay people in a positive light. And he did that in this book. Yeah. Without making it... Over the top. Over the top. Yeah, for yeah. sure. So let's just finish out the plot and that'll take care of this. Uh, at the end of his one to two month trial experience investigating this orphanage, he heads back. He turns in his report and he goes back to work um he realizes though as he's going back to work that something's not quite the same yeah you left out the part like despite like arthur pleading with him not to go back and to just you know basically quit his job and move to the island linus is like no i gotta go back like this is my duty this is my job he's very duty oriented like he likes that routine he likes and being on this island has thrown his routine so completely off and Linus has grown so much as a person just being from the island and so when he goes back it takes him a bit yeah but he notices <laughs> but that something's like, different in his life and he's I like I was happy on the island <laughs> yeah I'm not happy anymore so of course he quits he packs up his bags and he leaves his very annoying neighbor I don't know how Linus stood his neighbor for so long I mean just the three paragraphs that we get when he leaves work one morning and he comes home another day like just drove me crazy and made me want to hit this person and I'm not a violent person I like to think but they were just so annoying 
it was bad, you know, so I was like, I don't know how Linus could live in day in out there. But, you know, he leaves, he goes to the island, he does, you know, live there with them, and that's the end of the story. Yeah. So, it was a great story again. I really did give it five out of five. It was touching, it was heartfelt, it was a great spark of warmth in this time of trial. It was engaging. Uh, it was engaging. It, it very well fit in with our world today when there's so much hatred and anger going on, especially with it being a political uh, uh, election year. That's what I'm talking about. An election year. Um, there's just been so much hate, I feel like. And so I love that this book showed how, yeah, there's hate in the world, but you can turn that around and make your own positive island experience. So. Yeah. Well, thank you, Andrea, for talking about this book with me. It was great to have you here. No problem. Um, that's going to wrap up our discussion of The House in the Cerulean Sea by T.J. Clune. Thanks for listening, and thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to libromancypod at gmail.com. And remember to investigate the magic of books.